Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Matthew chapter 17, starting in verse 24 through 27 where we'll be headed not everything inside of the human experience is universal you can say well I had a bad I had a bad week but that might mean something different to you than it does to somebody else I had a bad week you know work really has me down or I had a bad week nobody's hiring I had a bad week. You know, we just need more rain. Uh, no one's probably saying we need more rain. That's, that's for sure. No, we don't need more rain. But there's those times that you'll experience something and you'll think, oh, this is, this is a bad, it's been a rough week, overwhelmed by family. You know, just the schedule is packed. I'm chasing my kids everywhere. We're doing all these things. But there's somebody on the other side of the human experience who's saying, I'm lonely. I don't know what my purpose is. I'm still single. I wish I had a schedule and kids and a family to chase after, but I don't. Not everything is universal, but there are certain feelings about the human experience that are universal. I'm having a bad week, and you can say, yep, been there. Had a bad week once, too. But for, but for Peter... Jesus' main disciple, Peter, he's had a rough week. Now, for the last three weeks, we've talked about Peter's week and what's been going on. So we started off, Matthew 16, they're in Caesarea Philippi. And it's there that Jesus kind of reveals to him. He begins asking the question, who do people say I am? And Peter somewhere connects with God in this moment and comes up with the answer, and he's right and it's one of those, he's been putting the pieces together. You are you're the one. You're the Christ. You are the, and he says the word, the Son of God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, because you did not come to this knowledge on your own. My Father in heaven gave you that. Blessed are you, Simon Peter. Shortly after that, they They have this conversation. I am the Christ. And as they're walking away, he says to Peter, the other disciples, by the way, I'm going to go and die. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Going to pump the brakes for just a minute on that go and die thing. You're the king, right? Like you're him. The one we've been waiting for. The one all of us have been waiting for. The one who's going to... Since they said that about Moses, when God told Moses, I will raise up a prophet like you. Like this is the, you're the you, you're the him. Now that we've got it established and we know who you are, you're going to go die? He says, yeah. Okay. It says six days later, Jesus takes them up a mountain. So first he takes them 25 miles north of Galilee, up into Caesarea Philippi. Which to give you any idea, this is, we're talking like, this is like a red light district type of place, Caesarea Philippi. It's kind of a strange place for the Messiah to take his students. It's a weird place. But it's there that they figure out that he is the Lord. 
They come back, and then he takes them to the top of a mountain. Just six days later, and there he is transfigured. We talked about this last week. Transfigured in front of them. His whole body transformed all the way to the fibers of his clothes. His face is shining, and they're absolutely amazed. Then Elijah and Moses show up at the same place. The, the voice of God thunders from heaven. Clouds drop from heaven, and they just encapsulate the whole top of the mountain. When they hear the voice of God, they're absolutely terrified. This is only six days after the recognition of that Jesus is the Messiah. And they leave from there. Peter knowing, you know what? We're going to do this church thing. Like he's got me charged up. We're going to do this church thing. Jesus is on our side. He does the super light bulb, shiny, glowy thing. You know, like people are going to, they're going to see this. And they're going to be like, he is the one. What can stop us? And they get to the base of the mountain. As soon as they get to the base of the mountain, a man comes running up and he says, Jesus, Jesus, my son is suffering from demon possession. And you can almost feel like the disciples kind of swelling up like, don't worry, don't worry, like we got this. Like he is the one, the one. Don't worry about it. And then this guy drops this little bomb right in the front of him and he goes, yeah, I already asked your guys to help out. They couldn't do anything for him. What about you? Oh yeah, now, now, now I remember you. Peter's had a rough week. You are the Lord. Yes, I'm going to die. Wait. I am the Lord. We, he sees him as, as if he were in heaven, illuminated. And then they come down the mountain, and all of a sudden he says, I'm going to die. Like, back to the dying thing again. Then they get to the base of the mountain. And this man comes, and he says, I need my son healed. And Peter's like, oh, I think I know this guy from some, oh, yeah, I tried to deliver the boy myself, couldn't get the job done. He's got these feelings of failure. See, maybe you've never been on a mountain when you've never seen Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And maybe you've never been in a demon possession situation to where it relied on you to cast the demons out. And maybe you were never standing in Caesarea Philippi where you had to come to terms with the fact that in light of all of the spiritual rubble and the ruins of all these other religions, you could identify Jesus as the Lord. Maybe that wasn't your conversion experience. But you have had experiences in your life that you can't explain. And you'd be weird if you tried to explain them. People would look at you like you're crazy. And you would love to say that they make sense. That's universal. We've all had those. It wasn't on a mountain and it wasn't with a, a guy who was lit up. But we've had these things, these conversations that have happened to us that we've heard things. Maybe you've never had to be in a situation where there was a demon-possessed boy that throws him in fire and throws him in water. But you have dealt with feelings of failure, haven't you? And inadequacy. You've been there. Oh, maybe you didn't stand beside the Lord before his death, but you've stood beside somebody where death was looming over one of your loved ones. You've stood by them, haven't you? You felt those feelings and the weight of that. That's universal. Peter's had a rough week real rough week then we get to this part that we're studying today Matthew chapter 17 starting verse 24 this is after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax Peter says yes he does he replied when Peter came into the house Jesus was first to speak what do you think Simon he asked from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes from their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. 
then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it, give it to them for my tax and yours. You know what's interesting about the story is that there's absolutely no context, no introduction. There's no story built up around the outside edge of it. You don't know who's present. All you know is the disciples came back. They're at a house, but it's only Jesus and Peter. And Peter's not even at the house where Jesus is. Jesus is at a house. We assume it's Peter's house. But Peter's not at Peter's house. Peter's away from Jesus. You ever been around Jesus so much you kind of felt like you wanted to not be around Jesus? Some of you are like, no, and you're lying. Because <laughs> sometimes Jesus can be a little overwhelming. But it's a catch-22 with him. It's a catch-22 with Jesus. You can get around him, and all of a sudden, all this stuff begins to happen in your life. I heard a guy tell me one time, I, look, I want to I wanna know the Lord better, but every time I get around him, all these bad things start happening to me. It's better for me to keep my distance. <laughs> the logic's right, you know? The logic's right. The minute you begin to take steps in faith towards something good, yeah, the enemy's going to smash you. And the minute you begin to take steps towards things that are good, you know what else is going to happen? Jesus is going to begin to unwind all of those tangly webs we've already tied. And you try to go back on those, and he's trying to unwind them for you, and it's so difficult. That's where people quit. Just roll over. We don't want to do it anymore. And we don't understand why the disciples aren't there. Maybe it's because they were gone a week already. They'd already been to Caesarea Philippi, then they went to the top of the mountain. Maybe there's a whole lot of going on inside their little heads they need to process i saw jesus with the he was lit up right you saw it too right i'm not making this up no 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 i heard it i was there so we were at Caesarea philippi was it necessary for us to go all the way there to discover that he's the messiah couldn't he have told us that like you know at capernaum i don't know is it just me or those other three, Peter, James, and John? Ever since they came back from the Mount of Transfiguration, are they weird or what? They're weird. They saw stuff up there. that You're not right no more, you know? There's a situation sometimes. You can hook up with Jesus, and then you start losing friends. Do you know why? Because you ain't right no more. You done seen him. You done been up close to him. And you come back, and it's kind of like, is something wrong with you? No, I'm, I'm good. You're not good. You're weird. You're weird, you know? <laughs> been loving Jesus and you got weird on me is what you did. I wasn't trying to. I'm not like a holy roller. Yeah, you're, you're a holy roller. You are. You know, it'll happen. Absolutely will happen. You got weird. You know what? Ever since you got around Jesus, you don't drink no more. I don't like that about you. You know? It's the way it goes. The other disciples standing over there looking at these other three, Peter, James, and John, ever since the Mount of Transfiguration, they're like, I don't like being around those guys. They're weird. Why? Dude, what happened up there? Jesus said we can't talk about it. He said, specifically said, do not talk about what happened on the mountain. And what happens, the mountain, we're down. We're not talking about it. Like, why can't you tell us? Like, we're in the group too. Mm, not in that group. We're in a different group. <laughs> this is what happens. It just gets weird. It's interesting though, because you know what Jesus said? We have this idea of Jesus that he came to unite everybody. What Jesus' words were? I did not come to bring peace, but the sword. I will divide you up. 
I will make you choose me. If that means you've got to start carving family members out of your life, you will choose me. That's a ferocious Jesus. He is the Lord. Jealous. And maybe that's what's going on inside the minds of the disciples. And maybe that's why they're not there. Maybe they just need a break for a minute. They need to just try to get their head around it. Maybe that's what Peter's doing too. And maybe that's why he's not in the house. Jesus is, but Peter isn't. And maybe that's the deal. Maybe he saw Jesus do this so many times. Remember Jesus would just like disappear at times? They'd be all together and all of a sudden Jesus would get up early and he would go to a solitary place and he would pray up on the mountain. And then when they find him, they're like, Jesus, where you been? Jesus is like, listen, Jesus had to go get right so I could tolerate all this, you know? Like Jesus needed to be talking to God so that I can tolerate you for... He didn't say that. If I were Jesus, I would have said that. But... <laughs> and this is it. And this is his whole... Maybe that's what Peter did. He looked over and he saw... This is what Jesus always did when he got in that place to where it was just so overwhelming. Maybe pulling back. Maybe pulling back and going to a solitary place and praying and getting my mind right and getting my heart right is what I need to do. And so he does. And he's got so much on his mind. And he's got to think about the future, the impending death of his Savior and how, how is his Savior, who's the king, also going to go and die? You've been there? Like your brain is just so occupied with a thing. Like you can't. You just need to be away from it. You can't. It's that deal where you want to take a vacation from your brain. You know what I mean? Anybody, anybody else have that deal? Like, I need a vacation from here, like from this part of me. Because what happens inside here where the wheels get to spinning, this exhausts the machine. I need out. And maybe that's where Peter is. So he bugs out. He leaves Jesus at home on his couch. That's a real friendship. You know what I mean? When you can leave one of your friends at your house and you just leave, you come back and you know they're going to still be there. There won't be no Doritos, but they'll still be there. <laughs> and that's what happens. It's a real friendship. You know? And he just leaves him there. And he just tries to go and just get his head. You know, Peter was, he, was a, he had a, a successful fishing business before he started following Jesus. And maybe that's where he goes. He went to go check on the boat, went to go check on the business. He'd been gone a while. He had a family. Maybe he was just trying to get his head around that whole thing with Jesus. And that's the way it is sometimes. But just as he steps out the door, and in my mind, I think he's going fishing because that's where I go. If you call me and you can't reach me, yeah, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow. I'm not answering. And if I'm Peter, I'm thinking this guy's a fisherman. It's been a while since he's done some fishing. Maybe he's got his fishing pole in his tackle box and he's on his way to go fishing already. Somebody stops him. It's interesting, this story isn't recorded by any of the other gospel writers, only Matthew. It's also interesting that Matthew collected taxes before he started following Jesus. And so when it comes to a story about the temple tax, this one specifically interests him on some level. And he's the only one who writes this story. There's no context to it. But he's like, you know, there's a tax situation, and I just kind of want to write about it. It's familiar. It's my home turf. I like it. So he tells a story. Peter's on his way out. And the collectors of the half shekel, or the two drachma, temple tax, 
see Jesus or see Peter in the road and they say, hey, uh, you're part of that, part of that whole Jesus movement, right? You follow Rabbi Yeshua from Nazareth? I think of Peter as kind of like the guy that's like, yeah, what about it? Like that, like he's that guy. Like what? Always kind of on edge. That's how I kind of see him. Not the, oh yeah, that's me. Like he's kind of like, yes, so what? Like just quick with his mouth and you know, yes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm with him. See, he pays the temple tax, doesn't he? Of course he pays the temple tax. What do you think? He doesn't pay temple tax? Of course he pays the temple tax. I think. I, think I don't know. I've never seen him. Maybe he does. I don't know. Peter says, yes, of course he does. And the guys are like, okay, calm down, feisty. Well, it's good. Obviously, the answer satisfies him, but Peter's not in a place to where he can just let it go. He says yes, but then all of a sudden he's like, did he? I think he did. I better go ask him. I don't remember if he does or not. I'm going to go ask him. He goes back to the house. Matt, you know what? If I'm going fishing and you pull into my drive, or the IRS, even worse, pulls into my drive, like, hey, can we talk to you a minute? No, you have to come back later. Ah, this is important. You're going to go to jail. I just wanted to go fishing for five minutes. You know? Just want... Ah. No. Peter picks up his tackle box and his fishing pole. I assume he's got a fishing pole and tackle box. I don't know. Goes back to the house from where he came. Throws it up against the house. Opens the door. Walks in. Jesus is sitting there. He says, uh, hey, Peter, I'm glad you're here. I had a thought while you were gone. And Peter's just looking at him like, well, I just had an altercation in the road a minute ago about you and some tax money, you know, and he says, yeah, 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 hold on, that can wait. I got a question for you. The word that Matthew uses is he prevented. He prevented Peter from talking first. Jesus spoke first. He prevented Peter from talking first. And he says to him, Hey, Peter, I'm glad you're here. Do the kings of the earth collect taxes from their own sons or from others? That's an interesting conversation. I just had a similar conversation in the street out there a little bit ago. I don't even know if it even dawns on Peter just yet that, that he's been set up. Like that Jesus knows everything. And I don't even know that it's dawned on him. And Peter's like... Okay, it's also cool. He uses this Socratic teaching method to where he asks a question and he engages him with it and he forces him to come back with an answer. You know, in school they don't do that. They don't do that so much. Jesus engages Peter. Hey, Peter, what do you think? Kings of the earth. And they go and they tax people. Do they tax their own sons? Peter's no slouch. He knows about this. Of course you don't tax your own son. What kind of king taxes his own son if you're in the family you live underneath the family name you don't have to pay that you have to pay those taxes you know why because your last name is no of course not Jesus reaffirms so then the sons are exempt right yeah okay but so that we don't offend anybody, I need you to take your fishing pole and your tackle box. I need you to go back down to the Sea of Galilee and I need you to catch a fish. Peter's like, I was headed there a minute ago. 
That's where I was going in the first place. I need you to catch a fish, and when you do, it'll be the first fish. You pull it out of the water. I want you to peek inside. Open his mouth and peek inside. Inside his mouth, there'll be a four drachma coin. Whole shekel. That'll pay my tax and yours. At this point, I think Peter's brain is just completely shut off. Okay, okay, that's fine. Yeah, it makes sense. Perfect. I'm going to go catch a fish. I'm going to... Yeah, sure, why wouldn't I? I mean, it makes perfect sense. He illuminates himself like a glow worm. He does what, and he just, like I just see this thing, like he's just completely, yeah, why wouldn't I? That makes perfect sense. I'm just gonna go catch a fish and find money in, him, in its mouth. I mean, I've been fishing my whole entire freaking life. I've never found money in a fish's mouth, but why would today be different? I don't know. Of course it'll happen. Okay, Jesus, I'll be back. You know, if it gives you any window into my conversations with the Lord, sometimes that's the way it, <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Perfect. Peter walks back outside. He grabs his tackle box. It's fishing pole. Walks down to the edge of the water. Baits his hook. And if I'm him, I'm freezing. What, what if this really happens? I mean, what if this really happens right now? What's interesting is Matthew doesn't even finish the story, but in your mind and in mine, it happened. Matthew just says, go do it. He just tells the story. Jesus says, Peter, go do it. And then the story's done and we move on to something else. But in your mind, in my mind, we finished the story. We just let the story just run and we know exactly how it went. You mean to tell me that these, these authors were not inspired? That they didn't know how the human mind works and its attraction to the narrative? How storytelling is the thing that changes lives? Peter's standing down there. In my mind, this is just my story, the way it plays out in my head. I don't know how it happens for you. He's standing there, and if I'm him, I bait the hook and I sit there and I think, this is going to be so weird. There's no way. There's no way. No way. I mean, I fish with a net all the time. I rarely fish with a pole. And I'm going to, come on, this isn't the right time of day. I don't have the right bait. If, this freaking, if there's something on here, I'm going to be weird and completely outside of my mind. This is going to be the weirdest I'm serious. Like, if I catch on a... And he feels that bump. That one that you don't even know if you're, if you're hearing it or if you're feeling it. You fishermen, you know what I mean. Like that bump in it, and you're not sure if you're hearing it or feeling it, but it's just this... And it's just... He sets the hook, and the line begins to carve through the water. He's like, no freaking way there's money in this fish's mouth, I'm seriously going to freak right out of my head. I'm going to, and he reels and he reels and he can't even wait. And in my mind, he can't even wait and he begins to just wade out into the water. He just keeps wading out there and before too long, he's let go of it and he's just got the line and he's just pulling the line and he pulls the line all the way up and there's a fish and it's the fish. There's one fish and he stuck his thumb in the mouths of a thousand fish. This time when he does it, something's different. There's something different inside this fish's mouth. He just drops his head. 
He's got a hold of that fish. And he can feel what's inside the fish's mouth. He can feel it. His thumb's touching it. He doesn't even have to look. He just knows what Jesus said is true. And he's just overwhelmed with tears and overwhelmed with relief. Not because of the tax situation. That's the least of his worries. But he's overwhelmed at the fact that, you know what? (sighs) Jesus cares about the details. He opens his mouth and he looks. There it is. It's the stator coin. It's the one that's worth two of the tax. Every Israelite from the age of 20 up was asked to pay this tax to the temple treasury. This started all the way back when the Israelites came out of the wilderness or came out of Egypt. This money was used to establish the tabernacle, which went on to be used to establish the temple. This bought sacrifices for people to come in and use to make their atonement with God. This was called a ransom. And he opens up the mouth and there is that coin. Peter takes the coin out and in my mind he doesn't keep the fish. I'm not a catch and release guy. If I catch it, I want to eat it. Peter doesn't even care. He pulls the coin out he throws the fish back. Puts it in his pocket. He turns around, he comes walking back up. There's those same guys at their same little booth asking the same silly question. Your master, your master, he pays the temple. Yeah, my master pays the temple. <laughs> and he goes back to the house. And I think in Peter's mind, there's this thing that happens like Jesus became bigger. He's not just a masterful storyteller. He's not just this intelligent teacher. He's not just this friend of mine who occasionally does weird miracles. He is the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Son of the Most High. The Lord of Lords, he's the king of all of heaven. He's the king of all of earth. Obviously, he's the king of the sea. He's the king of all creation. And then Peter begins to... That's what was with the conversation. Who do the kings of this earth collect taxes from? Their own sons or others? And this begins to play out in Peter's mind. And Peter begins to realize Jesus... Jesus saw all this coming. What he was saying was, Peter, let me ask you something. Does the son of the most high king have to pay a tax? To which Peter's like, Jesus doesn't have to pay taxes to anybody, ever, if he don't want to. That's what that meant. Collects it from everybody else. If you're the son, then you're immune. You have exemption. And then I wonder if he thought to himself, only a king would be so humble, only a rightful king would be so humble as to subject himself to the laws and the requirements of man. I think one of the most divine things about Jesus was the fact that he became a man. That he would dare limit himself 
And I think to Peter, instantly, this idea of who Jesus was just began to build and build and build. He cares about the details. Jesus proves his right to the throne in the fact that he doesn't use power to take the crown. But he becomes the king by way of submission and gentleness. Is that true for me and you? Do you know that politics and morality and that, that weird thing that churches have to deal with on how do we, how do we live how do we vote? But do you know the morality of a country is never established by legislation? It's established by the day-to-day -day lives of Christians. Let me say it again. The morality of a nation is not established by legislation. It's established by the daily lives of Christians. You know how I can prove that? Because check Jesus out. He never got into politics. Yet here we are still talking about him. This is a guy who didn't go any further than like a hundred miles from his own home. He was born in a place, he stayed in a place, he didn't leave in a place, he never went on tour. Yet here we are, 2,000 some odd years later, and we can't stop talking about him. And that was just the daily life. He wasn't a politician. Do you want to affect change in our world? Do you want to affect change where we live? then live like he lived. We don't have to climb to the top and try to fix something at the top. That's a broken idea. You know what's wrong with this factory? It's always the bosses. It's those people who own it and those people who don't live here. That's what's wrong with the business. Come on, that's not what's wrong with the business. It's the fact that most of the people you work with are idiots. That's the problem. <laughs> right? Let's be real. Let's be real for just a second. Like, that's not the problem. The problem is, is it's the administrators. Come on. It's the administrators' fault. It's not real. You want to change things? Live like Jesus lived in your daily life. But we want perks. We want entitlements. We want... We want to be praised. We want to cash in our chips. Yeah, don't, forget, don't forget me. I am this guy. I kind of got a right to that. Jesus lays down all his rights. He didn't have to pay a half shekel temple tax. He could have said, I got news for you. This is for the ransom. Guess what? I'm the ransom that will save the world. I ain't paying it. But he didn't. What he could have said? Oh, you're going to use this to buy sacrifice? Oh, did you know that I am the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice? I'm not paying it. He didn't pay it. He could have. You know what he could have said? Oh, so this goes to the temple? Oh, I think you mean I am the temple. Because at some point, tear it down, and in three days, I'll rebuild it. But he didn't. He had every single legitimate right to just stop them and say, I'm not paying you stupid temple tax. He didn't. He looked at it and said, just so we don't offend, yeah, just pay it. Doesn't mean anything. Just pay it. Do you use your rights, your freedoms, in the same way? You 
come down hard on people who disagree with I'm not going to be talked to like that. I'm not going to be talked to like that. Come on, really? They can hang our Savior on a cross, but you're not going to be talked to like that, really? Come on. You're going to watch your tongue with me. Come on, really? Joe spikes through his hands, but you're not going to let anybody talk ugly to you? It's okay. You'll be okay. He establishes his power through gentleness and submission. Isn't it true about us, our relationships? The times when we fight and bicker with those we love the most, it always has to do with somebody won't submit. Somebody won't submit. That's either me or her. I'm not doing it. I'm not submitting. I'm not. I'm not playing. No way. She's wrong, and I'm going to let her know she is wrong. I'll sleep on the couch if I want to. You know? Doing it. Always has to do with submission. What happens if the world sees Christians differently and the world sees Christians who come in and say, hey, you know what? It's okay by me. I don't agree, but it's, uh, who am I? Who am I? Doesn't make any difference. I'm no one special. I'm just a guy. Just a, doesn't matter. You got no say in it. It's no big deal. Here's what else is interesting. Jesus shows his love for Peter. And for the disciples, and the way he brings his providence in front of them. So you can think to yourself, like, my number one need this morning is fill in the blank. And whatever that is, you can think whatever it is. Let me tell you what it is. No matter what you think, here's what your number one need is that you understand John chapter 10. Well, my biggest need is this. No, I disagree. Your number one need is that you understand John chapter 10. Yeah, but you, you don't know my financial situation. Don't need to. And I'm not a know-it-all. I'm just saying your number one deal is you need to know John chapter 10. And what John chapter 10 talks about is this. That if the sheep know the shepherd's voice, and if the keeper of the gate stands at the gate and he opens up the gate and he calls the sheep and the sheep come then what will happen is he will gather up all of his own and then when the, the keeper of the gate the shepherd when he walks out he will go before them and they will follow him and if they will follow him he will go before them and you know what I need more of in my life no matter what my needs are here's what I need most I need to remember that he's going before me. There's not a situation or a circumstance that is going on in my life that he did not know was on the way and also provide a solution for. He's going before me. And so long as I keep following him and he's going before me, what in the world do I have to fear? I'm not going to walk into a situation where somebody's going to say, um, you're going to have to do this and this and this. And I just have automatic panic I look at Jesus and I go you're the leader look at answer the man's question you got fish shake them down we're gonna need some dollars here you got miracles shake them down we need something to happen here you got strength for me because this is a heavy thing shake it down because I need it here but you brought me here I've been following you and if I'm following you and I walk into a situation that's bigger than me, you went before me. You're before me. 
don't know if you know this or not, but He loves you. You know why it's okay for me to send my kids to school? Because I've been to school. I look at that enormous big brick building and I look at my daughters and they start their way in. Remember when they were so tiny and they started walking up to those great big doors? Like, they seem too little to go to that school. That's a big school. The kids are so big and my kids are tall like me. It's too scary. But I've been there. I went through it. It's not so bad. Will it be hard? Yeah. But I've been there. Had I never been? I don't know if I could do it. When I encounter something difficult, I think to myself, oh, I don't want my kids in pain. But at the same time, I've been in pain. They'll be okay. When they encounter a heartbreak or they encounter a situation that's hard for them, oh, I hate that. That's so tough. But I've been there. I've gone before them. I've worked hard to prepare them. It's going to be good. They get in those situations and they get in an altercation at school. What do I do? You'll be okay. Handle it. Knuckle up or down. I don't know. You'll be all right. Been there. Would never shove my kid into a situation I don't know about. Neither would you. How much more would God take us and push us down some terrible, terrible road just full of dangers and entrapments with absolutely no providence or protection? He wouldn't. He goes before you. It's because he loves you. He cares about you. You know what's interesting to me? And we'll close with this. When I think about the way he speaks to Peter... It encourages me. A few different times when he wants to get a point across to Peter, you know what he uses? Fishing. They have the miraculous catch. You remember that one? This miraculous catch. They pull all the fish in. Peter turns around. Everybody else is hooping and hollering about fish. Can you believe all the freaking fish? Peter turns around and falls on his face before Jesus and he says, get away from me. I'm an evil, detestable man. You get around a lot of fish and you get all mournful and weird like that? Listen, you're speaking my language now. And now here, he wants to speak to Peter again. How's he? He does fish. You know, sometimes God will speak to you in your interests, in your world, in your language, in the things that really connect with you. And I look at that and I think, that's really cool. Because he's going to take the time to learn me, to know me. He made me. He's got the dialect. He's got the handbook. He knows how to put me back together. One more thing. It's interesting to me that Jesus miraculously produced the finances to take care of Peter's tax. And he paid the price for Peter. And maybe that's why Peter ran home. Maybe the other disciples weren't there. You know, I think Judas is the one who usually kept the purse, the collective money, but he's not around. We don't know where he is. And so since the finance guy is not inside the group, he runs back. Jesus, uh, we're going to have to pay a little bit of money. 
Jesus is like, he ain't got no money in his pockets. Peter doesn't have any money. And all of a sudden he shows up and he's got the money. And it's just enough to pay for Peter and for Jesus. He establishes his love for us in the fact that he paid the price for Peter. But you know what? There's a far greater debt and tax that you and I owe that we will never be able to pay. And that is the tax of sin. You can do nothing with your life to remove the anger and the violence and the retribution that God has planned for us because of his son. We can do nothing about it. Sin brings on this judgment. And we got nothing we can do about it. We are helpless. We are penniless before him. Souls are completely bankrupt. Unless he pays the price for us too. And thankfully he did. Thankfully he did. He became the very ransom that we needed. He became the sacrifice we needed. And he interceded as a high priest does for us. Pled our case before the judge and laid it all out and said, I give everything I have to remove that from them. And it was accepted. And the price was paid. And if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know him in that way, if you are unfamiliar with the fact that he did this for you, let me sit and talk to you for a minute. I've got some great stories for you. You will love them. We can have a great afternoon talking about this.